Vitaly Shklerov is an expert in U.S.-Russia relations who worked on the presidential campaigns of both Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders and was a former political prisoner in Belarus. This is Vitaly Shklerov. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Dunk Tank. All right. Uh, I'm here with Vitaly Shklerov. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, so I'm curious, first off, when I had reached out to you, uh, you're an expert in U.S.-Russian relations. And when you told me, when you first got back to me, you said you were in Ukraine. Uh, so, of course, I'm curious, w- what exactly are you doing there right now? Well, to give it short, I would say, like the most um, Ukrainian people, I'm trying to fight the Russian aggression. I'm trying to defend the country, the people, and I'm trying to help. And to be as helpful as needed in a time of war, in a time of uncertainty, and in a time of uh, pretty much uh, fight for democracy in Europe. So are, are you actually participating in, in combat? Or what is the situation like on the ground? Well. Duncan, there's two types of activities or three types of activities you can uh, do in any war. So you can be actively um, as a military uh, or uh, some professional special forces be active in a war, like literally have guns, body armor and run in battlefield. Uh, I am not this person. I'm not... um, a military guy. I have no experience in this type of activities. You can um, help what it's called here, the territorial defense. So basically volunteers who can help also with military equipment to protect homes, cities, and um, uh, people, not right on the battlefield, but in cities. So that's where uh, so many people like me, also foreign legion, uh, like foreign people are trying to be active and to volunteer. And there's, of course, uh, the third group of people who is uh, covering the back, uh, basically helping to maintain the life, uh, so to speak, provide um, medical assistance provide uh, food and uh, supplies and and so on. So basically there are three groups of people who are more or less helping to fight and helping to to conduct the the how do you say it the the, the defense of... Uh, the defense, the uh, defense, correctly. It, it, it's, I mean, it, it sounds, I have uh, Ukrainian friends who are living abroad, but whose families had to evacuate. And it just seems like a nightmare right now. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious, I kind of want to go into how we got here. And one of the things that I found sort of fascinating um, about a guy like Vladimir Putin, for instance, is that when he first came into power, he, at least verbally, expressed a commitment to human rights, democracy, um, 
And Bill Clinton seemed to at least take him at his word and publicly uh, affirm that he was on the side of, um, you know, freedom and, uh, uh, you know, sort of Western style democracy. Clearly that, that hasn't uh, borne fruit. Um, and he's taken uh, sort of a more authoritarian turn. And um, I'm, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on why do you think that happened? Was it always a facade? Well, now I believe it's, it's a long story. It's a good question. I believe if we'll get deep enough in the history, I would say it was uh, no surprise. Uh, it was uh, obvious that something like that gonna gonna happen. Um, I believe um, it was uh, sort of in a way to see it as a history part, um, a pattern, regular uh, regularity uh, of the Russian behavior, um, aggressive behavior and imperialistic way of thinking that got us here on the one hand. On the uh, other hand, uh, if we get back to the recent history of Russia, of Putin, we will see, I mean, history shows that Vladimir Putin has been having always two basic states of aggression, like uh, strong uh, uh, neuro neuroticism, like strong neurotic uh, state of mind or relative calm. And uh, if we look um, at the last 10, 12, 15 years, um, uh, we will see that uh, he was always becoming neurotic when the situation in Russian Federation, from his point of view, of course, dangerously got out of control. This behavior is very typical of any classic control freak or any classic um, authoritarian uh, ruler. For example, um, let's, let's go back, let's say 10 years back and systematically look at what's happened. 2011, United States and uh, satellites, it's, it, it's satellites, uh, according to Putin, of course, organized the Arab Spring and uh, overthrew the autocrats like Mubarak and Gaddafi, putting several Arab countries, primarily Libya, on the brink of existence. Here, um, we can see that from Putin's view or point of view, it becomes almost clear that the same scenario, you know, like Putsch or... Uh, the overthrow of, uh, of uh, government uh, was planned for the Russian Federation in his point of view uh, for the first time. And Medvedev, of course, uh, uh, is his uh, uh, desire to reset back then, from Putin's point of view, would not have kept the situation under control. So this means that Putin had to return to the Kremlin for the another six years. We all hoped um, Medvedev will stay in power and we will see democratization of Russia. But from the point of view of a government that's been always, who's been raised and, and grew up in a, in a way of, uh, in, a, in a paradigm of, of, of uh, aggression, of Western aggression, of uh, Cold War, in a paradigm of uh, mutual deterrence, it was clear that all this is not a coincidence, that it's definitely a plot against Russia. So that was clear uh, for Putin or obvious for Putin that he had 
to return to the Kremlin for another six years, uh, at least, in order to kill the threat in the bot, so to help the Russia sustain and uh, not to go under. So what happened right after 2011, 2012, uh, we will see Bolotnesk protest, we will see Sakharov Avenue protest, and they all only confirmed the version, the, the, the version of, of Putin's idea Russia should have followed the Libya path or any path of, of democracy that uh, of a country that um, will not survive under democratic uh, um, uh, governance. So uh, after um, returning to Kremlin, Putin, as you remember, launch a new prosecution of the positional political field. He got harsher. Uh, he blocked uh, even the slightest channels of foreign financing or political activities in Russia. You remember 2013, next year, Navalny, rise of Navalny, um, and uh, the almost lost of election in Moscow, city election, mayor election in Moscow, Sabanin. So there was a next big trigger and massive political pressure and protests that made him be really um, nervous. 2014, Olympics, uh, um, Khodorkovsky, uh, he, he felt uh, he needed a, a, a big reunion or maybe like a, a prime showcase of, of a reunion between Ost and, and West. And he invited all the world leaders to his biggest baby uh, Olympic games. And therefore he pardoned Khodorkovsky uh, before the Sochi Olympics. Uh, the Pussy Rights, if you remember, were released, as well as the environmentalists from Greenpeace were released who tried to storm Gazprom offshore platform, and um, they were all safe, handed out to the Dutch king and queen. So there was a hope to connect, to reconnect, and to use the Olympics as a as a bridge, as a building bridge to the West. Uh, but it did not happen. Obama did not show up. So many world leaders did not show up. Moreover, what happens right there? The Olympics weren't even over. The the push or the overthrow of uh, government in Ukraine. So uh, I believe on February 22, 2014, it became clear that the Ukrainian revolution of dignity from Putin's, once again, point of view was a plot against Russia, was a try or a trial to, to destabilize or to um, put Russia under pressure and uh, to... Uh, get rid of Russian uh, government uh, in the scheme of Libya or Arab countries. And uh, uh, I can continue more and more after 2014 what's happened, uh, not to mention Georgia, not to mention uh, um, so many conflicts like Syria, like uh, Iraq, uh, Iran, and uh, and the last but not least, uh, 2020, Belarus. And I believe uh, this was the last drop where he uh, understood that the West, in his point of view, once again, will not keep it easy. The West will try and try again with economical tools, with political tools, 
uh, will try to get rid of uh, Putin, to get rid of uh, Russia and his view to uh, um, make the Cold War um, um, be the last uh, breath of the Russian um, Federation's life. And, and, uh, and I believe, uh, in a way, of course, uh, did the West, the collective West, the European Union and the United States primarily, uh, did uh, they all um, do a lot of mistakes? They did, yes. Uh, we, can, we can talk about it separately. But uh, I believe all those historical events um, in course of the last 10, 15 years, and some of the mistakes uh, in the foreign policy of United States made him realize there is no reunion, there is no trust, there is still Cold War and uh, Truman's doctrine going on, there is still mutual deterrence uh, going on, and there will be never a peace and never uh, uh, a hug uh, and the talk at the same level. So. I believe uh, now looking back, it's it's been always there. It's been uh, uh, more uh, like sleeping state of a, of a mind, sometimes more active and aggressive state of the mind. But it was inevitably coming to this to this uh, war, and this war uh, to end my 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 idea. My thought, um, this war is uh, not the war against Ukraine. This war is uh, a war against the last and primal against the United States. Yeah, okay, so interesting. It sounds like if I can, I'm, I'm gonna describe what I think is sort of Putin's uh, conceptual framework here. And I'm curious if, if this is, if, if you would agree with this, uh, or at least agree with that he believes this. In other words, sounds like what you're saying when you talk about things like Libya, <clears throat> uh, the revolution in Ukraine um, is that he sees uh, Western democratic countries as using sort of the language and the mantle of human rights uh, and democracy and, and freedom of speech, et cetera, as being sort of a, a, a disguise of just raw power politics, where he looks at cases like Libya, where Apparently, we promised Gaddafi that we would not uh, unseat him from power. And then, you know, we change our mind and he's gone and gets, you know, there's a famous video where he's getting sodomized with a bayonet. I, I can imagine if you're a dictator somewhere in the world, that would frighten you. Um, and so he sees these uh, revolutions around the world, um, like the Arab Spring as well, as being um, not genuine um, movements for uh, freedom and democracy, but rather um, incited by American you know, intelligence agencies, much like, uh, you know, the coup in Iran back in the 50s was. Yeah. Um, and, and so he distrusts this language of democracy um, and it, it has somewhat of a point uh, in that distrust um, but the way he acts on it is that um, he feels he, he needs to engage uh, or respond to the U.S.'s um, sort of their power politics with his own version of it. Is that about right? 
that's co- absolutely correct. I believe that's absolutely correct, and I believe he uses uh, in this particular um, sense uh, the word uh, hypocrisy. He loves to use it, and he says, like, look, uh, on the one hand, you guys uh, supplied uh, Afghanistan with these weapons to destroy the Soviet Union, but at the same time, uh, you guys were uh, fighting with them and trying to uh, establish uh, with this nation building the doctrine uh, a democratic state. Uh, on one hand, you were uh, helping the Saddams uh, or other countries with uh, regional conflicts. At the same time, later on, you betrayed your allies and you killed him. And and he, as so many people say, uh, those pictures of uh, Saddam's death and um, and uh, how people kicked his head as a soccer ball made a huge impression uh, on, on Putin. So there's generally no trust. There's uh, generally no... Um, th- there has been never a trust uh, just out of his historical background as a guy who grew up in Soviet Union and... Uh, was uh, raised in this uh, in this um, paradigm, but there is also no trust um, um, since he's became uh, the president of Russian Federation. Because in his mind, you have to understand that uh, a president of Russian Federation is like a god. Uh, you feel. Uh, there's nothing unlike in the United States. Uh, so many people say uh, the American president is the highest political uh, person or uh, or um, um, political Politics. office in the world. Yeah, uh, but that's that's from the Russian point of view. From uh, from the point of view of Putin, is not the case because. You have check and balances, you have the Senate, you have to get the approval of, of, of Congress, and you have a very developed system where the presidency is just a formal act or like just one branch of a power that is not um, powerful enough as such to execute everything you want, unlike in Russia. Russian president has ultimate power to execute, to to command whatever this office desires. So in a way, if the Russian uh, president hears from Tony Blair or from uh, Bush or from from Obama, well, I cannot guarantee you you, or I I have to speak with the Senate, uh, like I have to get back to my uh, American people to um to to get their opinion on on subject xyz whatever uh the the person who's been raised in a, in a soviet uh style society and who became absolutely powerful um hears those words as a as a joke as a betrayal as a as a half truth because the president is the representative of God uh, in in his um, 
mind and his uh, worldview and in the worldview or life view of uh, so many Russians. So I believe there has been always misunderstanding and mistrust towards the West and Western leaders because they have never been seen as equal as his power or his office is, first of all. Secondly, because as I said, of many foreign policy mistakes of uh, particularly Obama administration and uh, later on um, uh, Trump administration, the Russian, uh, the Kremlin became very confident in, in this approach, in, in this bluffing, in this uh, maneuvering and uh, provocating and aggressive uh, political approach. They went away. They they they, they like uh, got away with a lot in the last ten years. That given the feeling they uh, rule the world, and this is once again uh, one way of um, see uh, your own office and your own uh, um, possibilities of political action. Then, uh, of course. As a part of globalization process, Russia became really integrated in the Western world and the Western economy because of oil, because of exports, because of imports, because of uh, uh, Mercedes and 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 uh, and, and um, iPhones, but also because of uh, financial institutions, and this was also a signal for the Russian elites, for Kremlin, that they will not give up um, the money, you know, like in, in, in the Russian mind, uh, the capitalist or the capitalism is uh, just uh, profits and dollar fixed and oriented. So in order to maximize your revenue, you will uh, um, give up everything for, and that's where he was, particularly confident about and 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 uh, the West uh, delivered a lot of confirmations for this way of thinking by buying year after year gas and uh, looking away for uh, for criminal uh, activities for uh, bribery for violation of human rights so all this year after year the bureaucracy the European bureaucracy the uh, international institutions, bureaucracy, the corruption, the Russian money that made so many people around the world to feel uh, amazing and to have a nice lifestyle, made, on the one hand, the West very fragile and very um, uh, sensitive against uh, Russian interest. On the flip side, made Russia very confident and... uh, um, strong uh, economically and of course uh, military lately because uh, all the money was uh, invested in, in, um, in modernizing uh, military forces made the Putin and Kremlin very confident that they 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 um, they have a grip on 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 the West they 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 uh, can do is the best what they want in a way uh, that's what led to the war that's what made him 
be as crazy as he is. Uh, in a way, this Frankenstein uh, is the result, is the baby of a lot of uh, Western inactivity and, uh, and uh, passive uh, uh, looking away and not facing the problem that's been there for many, many years, as I told before. And I'm curious also, when we talk about uh, Putin's distrust of the West, one of the things uh, in the context of Ukraine that is constantly emphasized again and again, at least in the um, R- Russia's public statements, is um, apparently broken promises not to expand NATO eastward um, that were uh, not followed by the West. And one of the sort of sticking points, it appears in the case of Ukraine, um, is not letting Ukraine become part of NATO, which is a, a military alliance hostile to Russia and would ultimately be on a Russian border. Um, seems like that would be a problem. I can understand how a country would be uh, afraid of that. Um, are, do you consider, consider these to be fair complaints, not a, as a justification for war or anything like that, um, but how do you think the West should be approaching these complaints? There's a lot of um, uh, talks about among experts. On the one hand, there's really no huge reason to have um, to let, um, like, just from military point of view. Let's let's be frank. Uh, to let uh, Baltics join NATO and a couple more countries. I mean the whole uh, military contingent of, of uh, Estonia or uh, uh, Baltics is just uh, just a joke uh, and not to mention the military part. But there was a, a, a huge signal for, for uh, Russian generals, the NATO is coming closer to the borders. There was, uh, of course, um, a huge uh, problem for for Russian security forces and for Russian uh, um, understanding of uh, European security, the war in Serbia and uh, that the United States without resolution of UN just uh, like uh, 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 on its own started the war in the middle of Europe, in the, in the middle of Russian sphere of influence. It was not necessary from Russian point of view. Uh, it was the third big mistake, 2011, when with no reason whatsoever from Russian point of view, and actually really why uh, did it happen? I'm, I'm asking myself, but, but um, the... Uh, um, the treaty uh, that the United States uh, um, uh, quit the the agreement, the treaty of the um, uh, um, middle range uh, um, rockets. Uh, I forgot uh, the the name of the treaty. Uh, there was also one of uh, reasons not to trust the West and uh, why in the middle of uh, 
fairly good time, 2011, everybody loved Putin. And, and why all of a sudden the United States didn't prolong and didn't extend this treaty and just decided to quit it and, and to end it. There was, of course, uh, 2014 uh, and uh, the desire of Ukraine to, G to join NATO and uh, this resolution back then that granted uh, Georgia and Ukraine the pass forward towards NATO was also one of uh, not really necessary steps that uh, um, led to the advantage of uh, NATO bloc in any way, but it led to disruption and distrust and, and to some um, some um, worries in Kremlin about the future of Russian security and, and the Russian uh, um, um, border security. So there were a lot of a lot of, of uh, I believe uh, wrong steps and miscommunications made that um, led to this distrust. But all this is uh, make no mistake, uh, Duncan. I believe is just a beautiful excuse for Putin to execute what's been what's been planned and. Uh, desired a long long time ago so uh all what i said is not an excuse it's not a i mean i mean it's it's been i believe miscalculation and and uh, and some uh, not smart like now looking back uh foreign policy decisions on both sides of um of uh, of atlantic but 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 uh i don't think that uh a country that the government uh, giving the history, giving the political situation, and uh, giving the uncertainty that's been, uh, and and also economic instability that it's uh, given Russian Federation as such, that it would not lead to this uh, aggression. It would not lead to this uh, conflict. We, I mean, the the U.S. and uh, Russian Federation. In a way, we 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 were not built, but we we came to power to the glory uh, in sixties and seventies, based and to economic boom, based on this mutual deterrence and uh, based on Cold War on an enemy um, paradigm that uh, boosted the development of uh, airspace, uh, boosted development of in, in industrial uh, and machinery, so uh, as well as military developments. And I believe uh, in a way uh, having an enemy or having a competitor in sports uh, mobilizes the society, mobilizes the forces of any uh, society or, or sportsmen. And in, in a way, in order to succeed, in order to come to this glory, uh, the USSR and uh, the US needed someone, some threat, uh, someone who would uh, threat um, 
existential uh, or, or display existential threats uh, for for the society for the country in order to um, to to be as effective in protection in development in uh, economic growth in uh, uh, intellectual growth as us and back then soviet union was uh well uh, we know the history russia and soviet union lost this this race and uh, i believe this is also part of the reasons why uh someone like putin who has been raised in this paradigm in this way of thinking that we have to catch it was it was pretty famous slogan back then to to uh catch and to overcome united states uh i believe he was raised in this paradigm he's stayed in this uh, uh um, in this way of thinking and he's been staying in this way of uh, perceiving us or the west as a collective enemy that has to be uh, uh caught and overran and, and and i believe that's what he's been uh consequently doing the last 15 20 years it was not obvious for all of us because we were wishful thinking uh, uh, well russia is not that russia that used to be but it's in a way it's been always the same it's been always uh the russia that it was and it has been and and we just had some uh idealistic views uh and didn't wanna uh, be frank with ourselves who russians are and I'm curious, when we talk about the mistakes of the West here, um, what do you think about Joe Biden's handling of the situation? Particularly, uh, he made a trip to Europe recently where it seemed like he made just a number of just basic mistakes that like, I don't think I could be president, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't make the mistakes he made. Like, for example, saying he wanted regime change in Russia, that like this guy can't be in power. You talk about how this is something, uh, the invasion of Ukraine is something that Putin wanted to do anyway, but it, it seems like it would also be important not to give him um, an easy excuse to say, oh, well, these people want me out of power. Uh, you know, we have to defend ourselves. Um, do you think that uh, Biden is up to the task here? I believe Biden is very up to the task i believe what i believe i mean when biden was the the chair of a senate's committee i believe vladimir putin was just going to school or maybe to the university i believe uh, uh while biden was uh traveling to some of uh, uh countries uh, abroad representing the united states uh Putin on and Lavrov were probably just joining uh, and, and uh, starting their career somewhere in the mayor's office uh, of St. Petersburg. So uh, I believe someone like Biden, like Trump, uh, has so much experience. He has seen it all. He started with uh, Cold War, his career. He's been through a lot of ups and downs, and uh, he knows 
the Russians by heart uh, from their bad sides. And uh, I believe he is really, uh, despite so many talks that he is too old, he is like uh, stumbling, he is like forgetting some words. And it doesn't matter. It's just what counts is the the the, the will, the experience. And I believe he is um, very, very capable. Now, uh, saying that, however, uh, Biden, once again, if we, if we had two equal states uh, in terms of political power, like Russia and the United States, if he were uh, just an autocrat or as powerful as Putin in his um, action and his uh, um, possibilities, uh, I believe it would be very unequal, uh, let's say, fight. Uh, and uh, we would see Putin uh, uh, regret uh, the confrontation with the West. But 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 what we always forget that the United States, thank God, is a system of check and balances as a, as a system where a presidency is just one branch of power and there's a huge... Uh, civic uh, pressure and uh, society voice. There's a huge uh, uh, corner rate of uh, the Congress. There's a huge uh, um, NGO world and, uh, and the academic world that uh, brings its part to it as well. So the political decision in the United States is not just the wish and desire and the last call of the president, uh, thank God. Uh, and therefore, uh, his power and his uh, tools box is limited uh, in, in terms of uh, what he can do against Putin and Russia. He has to check in always with the society, with the uh, other branches of government. And then... There's a lot of uh, disagreement. There's a lot of uh, different opinions. There's a lot of uh, fear. There's a lot of uh, a lot of to lose, and there's a lot of uh, the cost of uh, American life is way higher. Let me put it really blind than the cost of a Russian life, and and uh, therefore uh, the American power, political power, is weaker uh, in the way. Uh, how far they can go in military action. And uh, not to mention that uh, Americans has, have been um, having a lot of trauma with Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and 9-11, uh, and a lot of uh, conflicts, uh, smaller conflicts. So I believe in this sense, Putin chose the perfect time when the... American society is uh, very unstable in uh, in a question of uh, what's gonna be next for America. What is the path forward after particularly pandemic, after uh, a lot of uh, um, civil movements inside of a country, uh, a lot of instability in the foreign policy after uh, moving out of Afghanistan, and so on. So I believe uh, he knows what he's doing, and, and it's not a question of the 
capacity and, and experience of President Biden, I have a huge respect for him. But I believe it just a government as such uh, is not as flexible. I, I could compare it with the Titanic. So America is a huge Titanic that can survive a storm, but it's uh, very um, inconvenient to maneuver, while uh, Russia is a small boat that uh, cannot survive a big storm or a big fight, but can turn around really quick when uh, it sees uh, a cliff uh, ahead of a course. So uh, it takes time, but uh, we know that, um, uh, we know, we both know who's gonna be the winner in this game, in this fight. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do worry a little bit. I mean, don't you, when you see like- um, Please, tell me when, what worries you. When, like, okay, when you see Biden go up and say, you know, talking to the troops and, you know, you're gonna see once you're there, and then his aides have to come out and say, oh, no, 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 Biden wasn't saying that, you know, they're going to send troops over there. And then like a week later, he says, you know, you know, man, this guy can't stay in power. And then like his aides are freaking out and being like, no, 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 no. He's not saying that we want to overthrow them. And then Macron, the um, French leader, comes out and says, you know, we got to temper our words and be careful here. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that he does seem he certainly he has more experience in this area than a guy like Trump. Um, and I think a Joe Biden of like 10 or 20 years ago probably would have done a much better job, but, and it doesn't seem to be a complete disaster, but I do think that he could use a little tightening up. Don't you think? Well, on the one hand, of course, we all wish to have a, Batman or superhero as a president who, <laughs> who is tough, who is sexy, and who is uh, confident. Right. But this is the picture of autocracy. This is the picture of Putin. So please don't go this um, like um, this road and don't don't walk this path. Fair enough. It's 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 uh, it's not what you want. Um, this is an example, a good example, what you said, that democracy works, that there's uncertainty, there's one step forward and two back. Fine. That gives the economy and the government and the political power less, way less power than uh, um, non-democratic uh, government. But in the long run, this is the sustainable way of dealing with uh, society, with human rights, with, uh, with uh, partners and uh, alliances. Now, um, could have America or Biden acted better and uh, harsher and more aggressive? Yeah. And I believe once particular red line is crossed, you'll see quite harsh and, and good action. Uh, I hope it's not going to happen, but but uh, I believe uh, America and allies showed quite few times in the history they can deliver. I just think this um, line has not been crossed yet. I mean, it's easy to sanction a government. It's easy to send a billion dollars to Ukraine. It's easy, fairly easy to send even uh military supplies it's not easy to send on troops and soldiers it's not easy to declare the war 
once this uh, happens, you'll see a different Biden for sure and different any president of any country for sure. I believe what got us there is not the weak West. It just um, the strong Russia in terms of figuring out this weak point of the West, this democracy loophole that they use uh, in for, for their own advantage. And, uh, and um, because of um, particular uh, wishful thinking that Russia is a different Russia than it used to be in 70s or 60s or 50s, I believe we all got tricked. We all got blind and we all... Uh, um, told ourselves uh, a story that isn't the the truth. And I, I believe we all see it now. And uh, it's just a matter of time that we'll get back uh, to normal. I believe in times of conflicts, in time of um, disparity, and in times of uh, disaster, we all get shaken up and and, uh, and we all sober up. And, and uh, I believe just a matter of time. and. Uh, and there's no other way around now after so many thousands of people died in Ukraine, after all those sanctions that's been put on Russia. There's no way back. I, 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 I hope uh, it will end peacefully, but I'm determined that in time of a crisis, uh, Biden or any American president will be tough and straightforward enough to execute if needed. I believe from foreign policy and American point of view, this time didn't come yet. And uh, it's sad on the one hand, because countries like Ukraine have to suffer for that. People like Ukrainian people have to die for that. And there is still no readiness of the West to be clear clear in what needs to be done but i believe it's just just a matter of time it's it's it leads to it and then sooner or later i believe the west will understand that uh, or feel it i believe they understand it of course but but feel that there is no way out then just to fight uh, and take it personal and not just pretend and do as if it's just a matter of Ukraine or Ukrainian problem. Uh, I'm curious also, there have been some suggestions that similar to how Afghanistan became a quagmire for the Soviet Union. And that was a conflict that the US foreign policy establishment seemed to want to, to maneuver such that it became the Soviet Union's own Vietnam conflict that, that just bogged them down um, and that destroyed their credibility in international affairs um, and had them sink a lot of blood and treasure into that enterprise. Um, there are some suggestions that perhaps the U.S.'s approach, when you talk about um, not fully committing, let's say, um, that part of what motivates the U.S.'s approach is to um, leverage this conflict so as to inflict maximum damage on Russia, meaning that you know, we don't want the conflict to end necessarily, but we want it to, to be a slow bleeding. And the end result being that 
um, this conflict perpetuates itself longer than it might have to. Um, is that something, does that ring true to you in any way at all? It does. It does. I, frankly, I, I, I believed and I was quite a lot of times, uh, very, um, uh, disappointed and then, uh, uh, curious. I, I thought like, why, why don't you guys, why doesn't America, um, wasn't aggressive? Why? Why uh, can't they like fire up some rockets and 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 then like really like in 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 a way we know it from movies like just to kill the bad guy, bad guy. But I believe uh, now uh, that this has been a particular strategy of the White House and the United States, as you said correctly, Duncan, to let Russia financially and uh, technologically bleed out and uh, nobody wants to have a nukes war and nobody wants a direct confrontation, but there's a lot of tools to make Russia slowly to bleed out and, and then die economically. And I believe this has been the strategy of, of the United States, how to deal with Russian aggression with Putin personally. Now, um, is it the smart idea? I believe it's not the fastest way to get rid of regime. It's not because Russia has a lot of uh, capacity, financial capacity, and I believe, uh, and this is also remarkable, that uh, while there is a war going on, Russia still sells and actually at the maximum uh, as of uh, last year's gas and oil to the West and uh, earned just during the war, during the 40 days of the war, $37 billion of dollars uh, just for the exports of um, fuels. So um, no, that's not the most effective and the quickest way to get rid of a regime. But uh, this is certainly the most peaceful one. I mean, what's the uh, um, alternative to fire up rockets and to start a war? I frankly, and I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I don't think they would, Russia would really, I mean, they, they really bluff a lot. And then uh, and, uh, the West is very concerned and very afraid of uh, Russians, crazy Russians that's gonna fire up nukes uh, to the United States. But I believe uh, they will not. I, I believe they are, uh, as afraid as the West to uh, like end the life. They have to lose. They have a lot to lose money, families in the West. They have uh, comfort of a life. Unlike politicians in the West, they have money. They, they are billionaires. They have quite a different lifestyle than the European and American political officers or politicians. So they have definitely something to lose. They moreover, uh, I'm not even sure their capacity and capabilities are as effective as we all 
believe or or as we all seem to believe it uh, from the history and from this particular um, view that we have been developing or having the last 20, 30, 40 years since the Cold War, that there is like some um, terrible, like um, powerful uh, Russian military right there that's going to destroy us. We have seen recently their capacity and capabilities in Ukraine. And um, I'd be frank, nobody since the Cold War started, since the um, nuclear rockets were invented in the 50s and 60s, nobody has ever, ever started the war and has tested the, um, the um, early warning systems or uh, protection systems um, and their uh, capabilities. So we all live in a world where we believe, and all this is based on beliefs, that Russia is capable and they have particular weapons. And we have in the United States particular uh, early prediction systems and uh, uh, protection, uh, sky protection uh, uh, weapons that can eliminate those weapons and vice versa. But nobody has ever tried them out. So I'm just saying, what if uh, it's gonna be all this nuclear power and arsenal is as effective as Russian troops in Ukraine? It might be the case, maybe not. We don't wanna try it out, but, but what I'm saying, uh, uh, the, the, the fear is based on the fear of the world uh, or um, of the fear of the uh, Cold War era and uh and it's not rational in a way but nobody wants to try it out and and then uh, so uh, i believe uh we all um uh carry on some uh mistakes and some paradigms that we are raised with and we want change and that's what uh, russia exploits a lot and that's what uh, russia uh, sees as a um, weak point and then and, and, and loophole in the democratic world and what they use effectively, fairly effectively with propaganda, with uh, um, threats, with uh, involvement in conflicts, with provocation and with aggressive behavior. And then so far they went away with that. And so far they were effective with that. And, uh, and I believe it's some time to um put a dot in this sentence and to make them realize that the West is not the same West that it used to be. And then it's up to the world leaders. But um, as you know, there's still, despite the war, despite the crisis in Belarus, despite the uh, crisis in Afghanistan, there's still no unity among even European or American leaders in, in terms of what we have to do with Russia. And I believe that's where we have to work. That's uh, where we um, have um, the room for, uh, for um, 
for growth uh, intellectually, but also politically. And, and as we start wrapping up here, I'm curious, what do you think, um, there were these peace talks in Turkey recently. Um, what do you think would be, in terms of what the West can do, particularly America, what do you think the approach should be to peace talks and ending this war? Well, the war in Ukraine um, is, is right now the number one goal and uh, number one problem to deal with. I believe the war in Ukraine will only end uh, when Putin regime is toppled. And uh, so long as uh, Putin rules Russia, Ukraine will never be the safe and um, the European uh, security will never be safe. Uh, and in a way, America will never be safe. I mean, there's no particular direct threat. But we have seen meddling in election, we have seen cyber attacks, we have seen a lot. And I believe it's a huge, not even wake up call, it's, it's, it's a problem right there. So therefore the ultimate overthrow of Putin is one of uh, Ukraine's of course, but also uh, international long-term military goals. And uh, Lukashenko, by the way, um, is the same problem as well. Um, the Lukashenko regime is obviously incomparably weaker than Putin's, uh, but um, uh, to read the country of Lukashenko's and uh, uh, regime and liberate Belarus uh, and and and. Um, will inevitably weaken Putin's grip on power and therefore strengthen Ukraine, uh, in my opinion. So after all, uh, I believe um, a free new Ukraine, a free new Belarus really is a, it's a new, it should be a new reliable ally in the fight against the Kremlin. Um, and I believe, uh, European Union in America should be serious about. And then uh, uh, I believe uh, we have to be honest with ourselves and uh, say it uh, out loud that uh, despite, or uh, it doesn't matter if we deliver particular weaponry to Ukraine or not, Putin will not stop. And I believe, uh, whether the NATO are gonna protect the sky over Ukraine or not, it will not stop Putin. And uh, as long as we um, keep, uh, stay afraid and uh, stay safe and not try to be getting out of our comfort zone of the last 20, 30 years that led ultimately to this disaster, we will not solve this problem. And um, I believe um, this is the goal of, um, of Western world to finally wake up and stop to hide behind some OECD resolutions or 
condemn the regimes, but be active because uh, the evil is always stronger than the good. And uh, the good has to be as fasty, as aggressive, as strong as the evil in order to at least to keep the balance. And um, um, I believe we have to restore this trust that we are losing in, uh, in good, in a way, in, in uh, democracy, in a way. Um, because of Russian aggression, because of some uh, um, failed uh, elections in the US or in Europe, because of rise of uh, some populist parties, it's a, it's a big, big uh, goal and, and uh, um, regime changes in Belarus or in, uh, in Russia uh, will not happen just easily and without this the population in this region will not sober and, and uh, uh, this population those people are very um, uh, brainwashed by propaganda and, and it's it takes a lot of effort it's not just like providing some weapons or military or financial aid uh, the job is not done with that. So we have to uh, get our hands dirty. So I just wish the West is as consequent as it has to. And it, it, the West treats the problem of Belarus and Ukraine and Russia as equal as its own domestic problem. Because sooner or later, it will be a problem of... Uh, of Europe or ultimately of America as well. I mean, we have been witnessing this particular behavior of appeasement in 1939, where we thought uh, if we'll give up Austria, Hitler will stop. And then it was all of a sudden checks. And then we said, okay, after checks, he's gonna stop. So appeasement, well, come on. Well, wait, he will stop right there. He just needs a little bit more. And then it was Poland. And then all of a sudden, it was a backup call. And uh, nobody came up with an idea to put up some sanctions on Hitler for 10 years or whatever, or export bans. They were really consequently, aggressively sober in their approach. And that helped to... Uh, eliminate the fascism in Europe. And I believe we deal right now with the fascism in Europe as well. And uh, it's not a matter of sanctions anymore. It's not a matter of OECD uh, or some other international institutions, bans or uh, resolutions. It has to be an action and you cannot just look away anymore. Unfortunately not. So the bridges are burned. Uh, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I also understand people bring up the, the metaphor of appeasement a lot. And the thing is, it, 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 in retrospect, appeasement with Hitler was an obviously bad idea. But at the time, I understand how after World War I, people would be like, look, let's just take all stops to avoid 
something like World War II. And I understand why people now are saying, let's do everything we can to avoid World War III, because it, it, it would be terrible, would it not? I mean, yeah, it, it would be. So I understand where people are coming from. I don't know the right answer, but um, before we go here, Vitaly, um, I'm curious, is there anything that people listening to this, it's mostly a Western American uh, audience, some Australians as well, um, and UK people, uh, and, and all over the world, but mostly concentrated in those places. Um, what, what, uh, what would you like to leave them with to, to maybe understand uh, this, this crisis we're in right now? Whoa, that's a tough one. Oh, are you sure? Let me, let me narrow it down. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you would, you would like to, to sort of get off your chest or for people to sort of bear in mind as we, as we leave here? You know, um, I'll try to answer your first question, uh, okay. what to live with. Uh, when I was in prison as a political prison, uh, prisoner in Belarus for my oppositional work, uh, I, and I was uh, detained and imprisoned in Lukashenko's Gulag-style uh, Soviet um, um, camp, at some point I was always going back and forth, back and forth with one thought. I thought like, why can't the president of the United States or someone else just get angry? You know, like when you see all these pictures in Bucha, when you see a lot of suffering in, in news outlets today, if you see how far we got with our ignorance and, uh, and um, and just uh, our own comfort. And I'm talking to myself personally as well. So I'm not accusing anybody else uh, but myself as well. I've been working for a position in Russia, in, in Georgia, in, in Ukraine, in Belarus for many, many years. And it's been my goal and, and one of my idealistic ideas to liberate this region from, from regimes like Lukashenko or Putin. But I'll be honest with you and with your audience. For the first time in my life, I got angry, really angry this time around. Not even my imprisoning, not even then, but right now being in the middle of a war, and I lost a lot of my life once. I lost a lot of my life twice in, in prison. I lost pretty much uh, a lot right now while sitting in Kiev and losing job, family, and everything. And beautiful country here. Uh, but but uh, now, unlike years before, even though I was really... Um, working as a position that was my political statement my activism everything was my my uh desire to show and to help uh people to have decent life fair life but even though i've been doing this for 10 12 14 years uh it was just a job and i can be frank with that it was a job uh, with a lot of patience, with a lot of love, but job. But for the first time ever, I got really angry. So I'll leave your audience with that one 
sentence, get angry, like hit, hit with your fist on the table, like get angry, whatever is your domain. If you politician, like hit this table, get angry and then get it done. Whatever you uh, think is right. If you just a designer, web designer, get angry and get out of your comfort zone. And if it's the war that triggers you in Ukraine, fine. If it's just some uh, inequality issue and you want to protest, it's fine. If it's just like something what you always looked away from and then like pretend that you don't see it, like just get angry and just uh, get out of your comfort zone and uh, wake up like like take off your mask, like be yourself. And then uh, I believe deep down, we all really, really all good people. Uh, and we all want to live in life uh, uh, with love and, and dignity and, and, uh, and uh, smiles, not the uh, tears in, in the eyes. So just in the sake of, of, of uh, your own prosperity, your own safe life, just get angry and um, wake up at least sometimes and uh, and be a human being and love people. I believe that's what I want to leave your audience and myself with for the rest of my life. Uh, Vitaly, I, there are a number of other things I'd love to talk to you about at some point. I, I really want to talk to you about, I, I know you worked at some point on Obama's and Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. I'd love to talk sure. about your, your time as a political prisoner in Belarus. Um, we're almost at an hour here. I try not to go longer than Whoa. that. Um, Whoa. But, and, and I know, <laughs> what's that? That's a lot. I, 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 it felt like 15, 20 minutes. I know, I know. Um, which is a good thing. Um, so at some point, I, I hope, uh, I know you're, you're super busy right now, so it'll probably be some time, but I hope we get a chance to talk again. We're going to have a chance. I'm not busy. Just uh, I live in a country that is in war, and uh, it's sometimes really hard when you travel across the country with volunteers, with uh, getting people out of country and some supplies in the country. There's not always internet, there's not always, and sometimes you just uh, want to have two, three days of, 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 of peace, and uh, it's, it's, it's not easy. I'm not busy, it's just, uh, uh, it feels differently. It's, uh, I, 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 it's not an excuse, I'm just saying uh, we will find a time. We will definitely find a time and uh, talk about good stuff as well. Let's do it. Uh, Vitaly, thank you very much for your time. And uh, have a great rest of your day, as, as well as you can. Duncan, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you for uh, the work you do. Actually, you are an amazing person who is not just, uh, who is awakened in this sense. You know, like I believe uh, um, the fact that you called me and the, the fact that the way you ask and then the question you raise tells me that that you are in a way angry <laughs> and i'm thankful for that yeah absolutely and uh thank you once again for your time and uh we'll talk again soon sure thank you Daniel. all right bye-bye bye-bye take care thank you to vitaly shklerov and thanks for listening to dunk tank i'm duncan gammy see you next time